Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I am Carson Messersmith. We're here again. Another week. Another week. Another uh, snowy, snowy week. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Nebraska Supreme Court cases, Nebraska Court of Appeals cases, for the week of January 17th, for the Court of Appeals January 20th, uh, for the Nebraska Supreme Court. Um, always, we remind you to go back to episode one for our uh, disclaimer, if you have questions about that. Is that good? That's good. We're three three weeks into the new year. Three... Yes. Oh man. We're we're hanging strong. We you know we've made that New Year's resolution last. We have we have. Um, they say this is the most depressing week Ooh. of all weeks because Ooh. all the all the holiday stuff is over, obviously, and then you get your credit card bill ah. from all the overindulgence yeah. that may have happened, yep. um, and then you get your bill, and then you worry about it, and then the weather doesn't help. So they, they say statistically that this is the most depressing week. Well, I feel like when you're in late December, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's 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 next year's problem. I that's love next that. year's problem. And then all of and a sudden, next year's problem that th- that three week mark into January next year, next week. Tomorrow's problem is now uh, it's today. It's it's the present problem. No, it needs February's problem. Yeah, it's, it's Valentine's like, Day's problem. You find that can and you just kick it. <laughs> Kick it to the spring. All right. Well, we're here. Uh, we're going to start with some uh, Court of Appeals decisions. I believe you have the first one, Carson. Yes. So we are starting with um, a published case, um, In Ray Guardianship of Elizabeth C. coming out of uh, Douglas County. This is uh, kind of an interesting case because it's something I think um, practitioners um, and just uh, people in society alike will run into quite often. Uh, this is a case where um, a uh, 78-year-old uh, woman um, was having some health concerns, uh, gets star- discharged from the hospital, um, is still having other health concerns, but at that point is um, cognitively okay. Um, she is uh, recovering. Uh, at that point in time, has a power of attorney done, uh, naming um, her... Uh, son, I believe, uh, as the um, as her power of attorney, uh, somewhere in between that time after being discharged from the hospital um, and during her recovery, she uh, has a turn for the worst. Dementia begins to become pretty onset, and all of a sudden can't handle her affairs. Well, what happens then? Uh, the son finds out as he is trying to p- place her into residential treatment facilities. Is something that uh, many of us, uh, with aging grandparents or parents, find out is that uh, Medicare is not going to uh, cover or Medicaid is not going to cover that if you don't uh, spend down the assets. And so all of these facilities begin telling uh, this power of attorney to. Uh, distribute the assets according uh, to his mother's will, and that way uh, you can avoid that spend down and you can have the government assist paying with that because those long-term care facilities are really, really expensive. And so uh, with the the power under that durable power of attorney, uh, son begins distributing uh, these assets, which include a couple of homes uh, in the Omaha area and some vehicles uh, to himself and then to siblings, uh, one home to himself, I believe another home to another sibling, and then uh, vehicles to another sibling. And as often happens with these situations, a, I believe, sister uh, gets involved and says, whoa, 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 this shouldn't be happening. Uh, you know, you shouldn't be allowed to give these assets 
um, to yourself uh, primarily um, and ask for a temporary guardianship um, says that you know brother shouldn't have the uh, ability power to uh, do these things to distribute these assets um, and to um, you know be able to uh, carry out uh, all the activities under this under this power of attorney uh, county court says you know son was uh, within his rights there um, there was no issues um, everything was done according to the power of attorney and there was nothing nefarious that happened daughter ends up appealing uh, the the issues on appeal the first issue is subject matter jurisdiction uh, so the daughter appeals based on saying that the county court didn't have subject matter jurisdiction to deal with the issue of deeding a house to yourself because that's an actual action in equity uh, you know that that sounds like a quiet title something that would have to be handled in district court the nebraska court of appeal says no uh, exclusive jurisdiction for uh, powers of attorney, probate matters, those are with the county court, and therefore, since it arose under an action taken uh, by someone using a, a power of attorney, that's um, an issue for county court, therefore, jurisdiction is not uh, an issue here. Uh, there's a sufficiency of the evidence argument, which, again, here, that's the, the county court took all the, the correct factors. Uh, there were no issues there. Uh, uh, that issue is affirmed. And then finally, uh, there was a will that was received into evidence that the daughter objected on. And essentially, when this will came in, the son said where he found it, uh, how he found it, and then, you know, how it came to be in his possession to be submitted to the court. And the court used that for foundation, and the Court of Appeals found no issue with that. And so it uh, was affirmed, and uh, all of the doings of that power of attorney were found valid. Affirmed. No Affirmed. problems. No issues. All right. Um, I have... I'm going to mess this up, but Villas of Southwind Townhome Association um, versus uh, Burl Johnson. This is a <coughs> homeowners association versus a homeowner. The homeowner wanted to put up a fence, uh, a, a big old fence in their back uh, patio area. And then there was a wrought iron little enclosure that the homeowner wanted to uh, keep dogs in. So this is something we all love, HOAs. <laughs> this is an HOA case. Love HOA. <laughs> I'm not going to tip my hand uh, to either one and, and let you know my opinion on them. Uh, restrictive covenants. This was a restrictive covenant case. Um, there's not much here. Basically, the uh, the only wrinkle that I could see is he kept trying to get uh, the, the homeowner, I guess, uh, kept trying to get pre-approval through the homeowners association. It was kind of the height of the pandemic. So the homeowners association was like, well, we're, we're not meeting conveniently. We're not meeting. Um, so you can't get pre-approval. So no fence for you. And then the homeowner gets frustrated and says, well, I'm just going to put up a fence. At least it appears. They so they frustrated. blew him off, blew him off, blew him off. And then he just went ahead and built it is what you're telling me. So he did 100% what I'm yeah, telling so you. So he built it without the, okay. Built it without the permission of the, uh, homeowners association, which everybody agreed to. So summary judgment comes in. And judge goes, well, there's no material issue of genuine or genuine issue of material fact because everybody agrees that this is offense. We can argue about what offense is, I guess, but uh, everybody agreed that this was offense and everybody agreed that the uh, homeowner didn't have permission. So you got 30 days to take down the fence and uh, good luck to you. And that uh, was the decision of the lower court, which was appealed and affirmed uh, by the Nebraska Court of Appeals. Okay. So the HOA won. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, the next case we have is Coffer uh, v. 
um, Miller, which is a uh, another wonderful farm and ranch case, cow case. Oh, there it is. Oh man! Oh, I love that sound of. I mean, that that is just. Uh, We're not going to have too many traditions here, but I think that's one. No, I think that has to be a tradition, and you know, being as we are in the great state of Nebraska, yes. I don't believe this will be the last cow case we have. No, it's a beef state. No, it's the, it is the beef state, and there's lots of money in beef. And when there's money in beef, there's things to fight about, and yep. that leads to wonderful opinions like this. Um, however, I will say, um, while there is uh, you know, a lot of valuable information in this case, this might be one of the most uh, factually convoluted cases I have read in a long, long, long time. Okay, well, let's skip over all that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just. And so, even for, and I'm tipping my hand here, even uh-huh. for a farm and ranch kid, okay. there is more discussion of the difference between a cow and a heifer and a oh, heiferette wow. and uh, when hef- when we can count a calf, uh, when we can, uh, you know, when, when an, an unborn uh, bovine is allowed to be, you know, a cost that is assessed to a certain party. And so, here, I guess if you want um, any of that, uh, wonderful discussion. Uh, if you want to get into some really interesting lease language and modification of lease, or um, like I said, any sort of uh, extremely convoluted uh, facts, then this is the uh, case for you. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I wish I could say again, this uh, this case would have been an extreme amount of work uh, for both attorneys. So I, I tip my cap there. And that is, um, that is my, I guess, ode to saying, well, I am not going to do this case justice. Yeah. And in, in our short time here, I absolutely appreciate and respect what must have gone into litigating this matter. What's the college in Frontier County? Oh, uh, NCTA, Nebraska College of Technical yeah, Agriculture. what town is that in? Curtis. Curtis, The thriving you. community of Curtis. <laughs> so you got, it's a beautiful community. Beautiful community. Uh, Great golf course. Yes. It has a supermarket. I've been yes, supermarket. absolutely. Um, I was just thinking, like, you probably need to go to Curtis for a couple of years to be able to. Yeah. And, and the lawyers who were involved in this can probably teach at least an intro course at Curtis after being done with this. 110%. <laughs> I, yes. All right. Anything else on the cow case? No, we'll leave that one alone. All right. Um, next case here we are. Uh, we have Randall Wegner uh, versus Wegner. It's a trust case, and a particular trust. It's a special needs trust, and regarding trust administration standards and under the Uniform Trust Code, basically what happened is um, they had a special needs trust for someone uh, that needed care, uh, and then the secondary trustee was all of the children, and only well. Uh, Allegedly, one of the children was more involved with uh, taking care of the individual than um, the other children. So they amended that trust, the special needs trust, to make um, that son a uh, the, the secondary trustee, and then, or excuse me, the trustee, and then all the other children as secondary trustees. So that's how they set it up. And the real argument here was uh, the main trustee, the father, he passed away, and then they through some kind of family settlement agreement that everybody came together with, uh, they all affirmed what happened with the special needs trust, or at least that's ultimately what the Nebraska Court of Appeals found. Uh, it was argued whether they actually did approve it because they were just uh, approving the family settlement agreement. They weren't really ratifying what was in those special needs trusts and those amendments that changed. But uh, the Court of Appeals ultimately found that, yeah, they did uh, ratify what was in the special needs trust. So the uh, approval of the trust 
was through the uh, and family settlement agreement, and it was approved, and the special needs trust uh, amendments went forward. So that's what happened under that case. There's a little good discussion about trust administration standards in the Uniform Trust Code. If you have a case like that, that might be a value. Perfect. The uh, last case, I guess, that I have for the Nebraska Court of Appeals opinions is State v. Richardson. This is a case coming out of uh, Lancaster County. Here, Richardson is charged with uh, destruction of property. Uh, Richardson broke back uh, or broke back, broke into his uh, ex-girlfriend's home, uh, kicked the door in allegedly, and then um, I'm guessing out of anger, though it doesn't uh, assert that, but I I think that's implied, uh, dumped steak sauce all over her clothes. Uh, it says that in the opinion, steak sauce. Steak sauce. Okay. It doesn't say what kind. Um, it says <laughs> kick door into residence and poured steak sauce on her clothes and bedroom carpet. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know if that was thick and zesty or A1. Um, no way to know. Uh, although that would make a difference, I think, for me, uh, depending on what kind of steak sauce you, you chose to waste on that. But um, poured steak sauce all over her clothes. Uh, there ends up being a trial about that. Richardson says uh, that the door had been broken a couple of weeks prior and had been fixed um, and that she must have thrown her own clothes into a steak sauce that was already spilled on uh, the ground. Apparently, the um, court did not buy uh, that argument. The county court did not buy that argument, uh, convicted uh, Richardson of destruction of property and sentenced uh, him to 120 days in the county jail. Hmm. Richardson appealed to the district court. District court affirmed um, the issues here. Uh, were a couple of evidentiary objections on um, some exhibits, uh, a sufficiency of evidence argument, and then, uh, which I think is maybe kind of the interesting um, fact here or or issue here, was that there was a motion for recusal that came on appeal uh, where Richardson was saying that the county court judge uh, was um, not or should not be able to preside over uh, this matter Uh, because uh, the county court judge had been a prosecutor in a previous case against him. Um, And so therefore he was, would, would not be fit, would have a implicit bias, Mm. uh, would be unable to uh, render any sort of, of uh, unbiased judgment against him. The court of appeals, you know, addressed that and said that, you know, there probably was some issues there uh, maybe to be dealt with, but the issue, the main issue was that Richardson failed uh, to raise that until appeal. And so there had already been the issue of setting his bond, which Richardson right. said that the bond was unfair. Uh, Richardson said that he was impartial. And so essentially they said, if you're going to raise uh, this issue, you needed to uh, raise it earlier, raise it before the trial had happened and then that any motion to recuse the judge um, on this probably would have been meritless anyway but you know you should have raised that early so if you have an issue where you think um, a judge might not be impartial raise that prior to trial well you can't roll the dice it's one of those things it's like well i didn't like what i got so oh you must have been biased you can't do that yeah you can't do it ex post facto after it so all right that's it steak sauce um you ready yeah, so okay. now we move on to the Supreme Court. Now, this is, this is for me, this is the reason we're doing this, this, this case. Um, State v. Decini. <clears throat> now, upon all, you know, you look at it broadly and you skim it, you go, okay, uh, criminal case, excessive sentence, no big deal, right? So you skip over it. Um, <clears throat> maybe not skip over, but you know what I mean. Um, in this case, we have a 
individual who was working for the Nebraska Department of Corrections who had inappropriate relationships with inmates and snuck weed, marijuana, and a cell phone into the facility. Smokes, dope, pot. Yeah, yes. those things. Okay. Yeah, thank you. You're you're familiar with the street vernacular. I, I appreciate yes. that. Um, so you would go, okay, well, that's bad. And, and then they got sentenced to two years imprisonment on one count, two years imprisonment on another. They were supposed to run consecutively. And then at the bench, when they were um, sentencing this individual, they said on three years imprisonment on count three. They did not say from the bench whether it was consecutive or concurrent. Now, that becomes important because um, what happens is if the later on in the journal entry, it says in the sentencing journal entry says, okay, those are supposed to be run consecutively. But from the bench, they didn't say anything about consecutively. Now, when a sentence is orally pronounced at the sentencing hearing differs from a later written sentence, the former prevails. So whatever is said on the bench. So whatever said prevails, not the journal entry. Exactly. It's not the journal entry. You can't clean up anything that was mis- mispronounced or missaid uh, after that. So they modified the sentencing order to make that uh, count three run concurrently instead of consecutively. And so it's presumed to be concurrently then. So if, if it remains silent, it's presumed to be concurrent. And what is said on the record controls, not the journal entry. That seems to be what's in, implied here. I think that's a very fair reading of, of what's going on here. Okay. Is, is we find that the district court committed plain error in its written order by saying something different and adding the word consecutive to the thing. I, I think it's one of those tie goes to the defendant kind of things. Yep. So they ran it concurrently. They also alleged ineffective assistance of counsel. And this is, again, this is something that's very interesting. Um, the defendant here alleged that she was deaf or hard of hearing. And she said, because of that, my lawyer was ineffective for not uh, filing a motion to suppress because I was deaf or hard of hearing. Now, um, there's specific statutes governing and defining what deaf or hard of hearing is. It's 20-151 sub 3. So it defines what that is um, to pursuant to 20-152. And it says there's special provisions that law enforcement need to do if they do find themselves arresting or detaining somebody who's deaf or hard of hearing. And it says no arrested deaf or hard of hearing person otherwise eligible for release shall be held in custody solely to await the arrival of a licensed interpreter. So they got to let that person go. They can't hold them to to question them if they don't have somebody right. You're sitting by the side of the interstate and they decide to, you know, call a canine to come search your car. You got to wait. But if it's a licensed interpreter because you are deaf or hard of hearing, they, you can only wave it in writing and you can't, they can't hold you, which I mean, that's what I'm reading in the statute. That appears to be the thing. Yeah. Anyway, they said it was not uh, ineffective assistance to counsel because they never, she never raised this issue before appeal. I don't think it, it didn't indicate that she did in the opinion. And there was a number, the, the judge here um, did a very good job, the court did, as far as, uh, you know, asking at the allocution for sentencing, are you satisfied with your uh, the job your trial counsel has done, anything you think they should have done, all those types of questions. And basically, from the record that was provided um, in the transcript, it is refuted on the record uh, that the motion to suppress should have been filed based on this deaf or hard of hearing because it was never raised before. So that's, that's one, that's, those are a couple of good little nuggets that you get from an excessive sentence case that you otherwise would have meant, well, well, of course it's going to get affirmed and it did. Yeah. Just skip across them. So I guess the interesting piece there is, um, for practitioners, I mean, you got to stay awake 
while that that sentence is being read out on the record, you got to be locked in and oh, not yeah. just think, okay, the the journal entry is going to clean up what happened here, you know, and make sure that if something sounds like it was misstated or misspoke, you know, you you probably ought to make sure that you're clarifying that with the the judge at the time. Well, and. You know, it's one of those double-edged sword things, right? Because if defense counsel here... If it's beneficial, it, yeah, yeah. Don't, oh, don't. T- yeah. Teacher, where's some homework? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, it was three years of his client's uh, freedom. Yeah. Basically, I, I don't know. that. It's it's one of those things. You have a duty to court, obviously. So you got to you got to raise the issue if you know that's the issue. I'm not su- suggesting that you don't do that. But if you're not sure what the court wanted, you probably need to get some clarity orally on the record. Because if they try and do something differently in a written journal entry, you're going to have to appeal it. Yeah, and well, and that's the other part there too is it's going to take a lot of time and work if it's not right the first time to make right. sure that you do go back to the oral versus what whatever is in a journal entry. Well, great case. Talk yeah, about no, a hidden nugget. Exactly, yeah, just right? a little hidden piece of gold there. Yeah. Um, so now I guess we actually are moving on to the uh, Supreme Court opinions. Supreme Court opinions. Yeah, so Supreme Court opinions for... January 20th, is a, am I right on that? January 20th. Real quick, you have me questioning whether I said uh, Nebraska Supreme Court earlier, did I? No, I think you did. I think you did. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to make sure that I was saying January 20th. So we're right on days. January 20th. January 20th. Nebraska, Nebraska Supreme, Supreme Court, Court opinions. Okay. okay, perfect. Previously on this, <laughs> it was Court of Appeals. And now, this at this moment, 3 at, two, at 1. At this moment, it's Nebraska, Nebraska Supreme, Court. Supreme Court. Oh, good. I'm glad we're clear okay, on that. Perfect. Thank you. Go ahead. So, State uh, versus Nebraska Association of Public Employees. This is a case uh, f- um, coming out of Lancaster County. It is um, the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services appealing an order of the district court denying uh, the Department of Health and Human Services petition and application to vacate an arbitration war arbitration award uh, coming from a labor dispute with the Nebraska Association of Public Employees. I'm going to call them the NAPE, N-A-P-E, NAPE. I'll allow it. Perfect. Um, So here the uh, HHS is arguing that the arbitrator exceeded his powers under the HHS labor contract with um, NAPE. the is this the pants case? Yeah, the okay. underlying issue it, it is the pants case. This Sorry, is the, I, I read that article. I was yeah, no, about. nothing better to fight over than fight. You got to fight for your right to wear jeans. Uh, it has larger implications, but yeah, yeah, but but, but I mean that is the is. that is the argument here. It was here we go. it was casual dress, and most importantly, and that's noted in the opinion, the right to wear jeans, the, which it, you and I appreciate. Does so, it say right? The right, the right to wear jeans. <laughs> Does it say right? I don't know if it says okay. right. I don't want to. I, yeah. Okay. Now the you pr- put me privilege. on the spot. The no, privilege, privilege. The ability. The ability. The ability. The freedom to wear jeans. <laughs> so here, um, Nape had alleged that HHS had changed uh, the dress code uh, in violation of the labor contract that uh, existed with uh, the Department of Health and Human Services, where it removed the discretion of, ad- of administrators and managers to def- define what was appropriate in casual dress and no longer included uh, just simply casual dress that at a minimum, it must be business casual. And so therefore, uh, primarily, it removed the ability for non uh, public contact employees to wear jeans. I believe that is how that was stated in the opinion. Um, and so here they say, yes, we have an issue. There is arbitration that is pursued under the uh, labor contract. The arbitrator find, 
or found that HHS had violated for failing to uh, first properly advise uh, that they were going to change this policy, failing to negotiate and bargain on the changed policy. Uh, so they didn't actually have an exchange here. They didn't have any sort of negotiation to change the labor contract. And then that they failed to give appropriate written notice. And so the arbitrator said they need needed to reactivate the 2017 dress code within 30 days to allow for uh, casual attire to uh, come back and specifically for jeans to allowed, uh, to be allowed to be worn. Um, the district court found that the arbitrator had sufficiently complied with the arbitration contract and uh, the labor contract that existed between the par parties. <clears throat> and then the Supreme Court went into, which I think is really maybe the value in this opinion, besides all the fun about the genes, is uh, what is the purpose of arbitration, um, which here uh, our Supreme Court tells us is to get a quick resolution of matters and to avoid uh, lengthy and expensive litigation, and that the parties agree to accept reasonable uncertainties from the arbitration process. And so uh, here we look at what arbitration is, when arbitration awards should stand, uh, the standard for uh, finding that an arbitration an arbitrator acted within the bounds of um, whatever contractual authority they have. Uh, we get a really good discussion on that and discussion on vacating awards. Um, and so at the end, the Supreme Court affirmed this, found that the arbitrator was, if, was within um, his powers in fashioning this remedy, that the proper uh, things were considered, and that there was uh, nothing uh, inappropriate as far as uh, the authority or power to do this. But again, if you have anything with arbitration, there's a really good discussion here about arbitration, arbitration awards, and getting those vacated. So Yeah, that sounds, I mean... If you have arbitration issues or, you know, you want a, a, a quick treatise on arbitration. Which is becoming super common, uh, yeah. by the way. You see arbitration clauses in so many contracts. Um, now, I think arbitration and dealing with arbitration is going to be something that practitioners are going to continue to see more of uh, and, and, in the years to come. And so. this is a, a case of that. I do have a, a, a question that's in my mind, though. I mean, so you get the privilege to wear jeans from the Nebraska Supreme Court. What if you psych everybody out and you just wear like slacks? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wanted the jeans. In everybody's the first place. everybody's anticipating the jeans yeah. on that Monday. Like you right? have to have it, but yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it was also interesting, which isn't incorrect, but that it was you know costly and burdensome to um, on that short notice make oh. people acquire different clothes. Sure. Which it was like okay that that actually makes sense, especially if you were used to working. Um, you know, in a, in a place where you didn't come in contact with public. And so therefore you were every day or, or many days wearing more casual dress. You know, that would, that would be something that could disrupt and, and be a, a burden. Value in jeans case. There is, absolutely. Good. Um, we good with jeans? We're good. I, I am great with jeans. Good. Um, we're moving on to the next Nebraska Supreme Court case. It's a, uh, Modification of alimony. It's Makowitz v. Makowitz. Um, it is out of Douglas County. Um, in this case, there were kind of two main issues. Um, one issue is what how the um, alimony award should be interpreted. Puts a lot of stock, and this is this is something that's common to a lot of these. Uh, modification cases regarding finances is the language of the decree is super important and the language of the agreements are very important because the court's not going to look beyond that 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 for a majority of the issues that's what that's what it's going to do there were clauses in this uh, decree that said the death of the 
payor, the defendant, or the remarriage of the payee, the, the wife, shall not terminate the alimony and she'll be in place until such time as it's fully satisfied. So this alimony is going. Uh, at least that appeared to be the intent. And that was the when the husband tried to modify the alimony, that was the wife's position is, no, we said this is, this is forever. You shall pay this. It's not modifiable. Now, there was another clause in the decree that said things can be modified by agreement of the parties or through by further order of the district court. The uh, Nebraska Supreme Court here said and found that the paragraph that said things can be modified kind of trumped this other paragraph that said, you know, you're going to pay this no matter what. So um, the district court entering the decree dissolving the marriage has the power to award alimony and where it is awarded, the power to modify and revoke it. That's straight from statute. And except for terms concerning the custody or support of minor children, the decree may expressly preclude or limit modification of terms set forth in the decree. So if you're drafting a decree, you want the alimony to last forever no matter what, you have a very good bargaining position and you say, uh, this alimony is going to last um, whether my client or the wife gets remarried or whatever you need to include in the decree saying, it's, this is not modifiable. You can't change this. You can't willfully uh, you know, change your job and go into court and try and change it. Here they allow the change. Um, his employment circumstances changed the payor and they, all they, they went through the number of factors for the change in circumstances for the uh, alimony award and said there was good cause uh, to modify the um, alimony award. And they said, you know, you're going to get different views from different courts, and it's reasonable minds can differ on, you know, what is a good cause and what's a change of circumstances and what is willfully underemployed versus otherwise. But here they just said, yeah, we're going to modify it. This is what we're going to modify. We're going to agree with the district court. And if you don't want it ever to get changed, you need to be sure and put that in the decree. Have to specify. Yeah, absolutely. Don't leave it open. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. Uh, the final opinion from the Supreme Court on January 20th is State v. Sullivan. Uh, I actually thought this was a really interesting case. Um, it was an appeal from the uh, district court, which had added uh, conditions of post-release super, post supervision uh, before an inmate's anticipated release from the Department of Corrections. Uh, this uh, was a case uh, which is an issue of first impression under uh, Section 6-1904, which governs uh, pre-release modification of post-release supervision orders. Uh, the underlying case uh, came from uh, a plea to one count of felony child abuse um, when the underlying information charged uh, multiple counts of both first and third degree sexual assault of a child. So some fairly difficult underlying facts, which maybe um, demonstrates why there was this modification. Uh, but anyway, the post-release supervision plan um, as the uh, inmate was being prepared to be released was prepared and reviewed uh, by the state office of probation. Uh, the state office of probation asked to modify um, as uh, followed. Uh, it asked to uh, apply the 12 standard terms and conditions specific for sex offenders. Uh, second, obtain an adult who sexually harm evaluation and uh, follow all resulting recommendations. And then third and finally, comply with real-time uh, GPS monitoring. Uh, Sullivan objected to everything, um, 
or every one of these modifications except uh, one of the 12 standard conditions for sex offenders, which was uh, contact with the victims. Uh, Sullivan said that wouldn't be an issue. You can uh, have that term. Uh, at a hearing uh, on this modification, the state called the uh, probation officer who testified, and I thought this was a really interesting quote. The probation officer testified that um, probationers are supervised according to what they have done, not what they are convicted of. Hmm. And so the court added uh, all of the uh, requested conditions. Um, the Supreme Court discusses here where uh, under 6-1904, it allows modification for offenders' um, performance and programming while incarcerated uh, based on the risks and needs related to the offender um, and their ability to comply with the conditions of post-release supervision along with the needs of the uh, larger community. Uh, Sullivan argued that the state needed to prove uh, the new circumstances requiring modification by clear and convincing evidence in order to warrant adding these terms, uh, that you needed to demonstrate that by clear and convincing evidence. The Supreme Court agreed with that and said the state did need to prove um, those, uh, those uh, facts uh, by clear and convincing evidence. Um, additionally, the Supreme Court says that uh, 6-1904 cannot be used to collaterally attack a sentence by the state. Otherwise, it would remove a deadline to appeal. And so only new circumstances at post-release supervision um, can be considered and then must be proven by that uh, standard of clear and convincing evidence. And so the interesting thing that here that the Supreme Court says is that if we open this door and say that you can just put on anything um, for uh, pre-post-release supervision terms, then that essentially allows an infinite amount of time to change a sentencing and add uh, different condi conditions that didn't exist at the time of sentencing without having any sort of burden of proof on that. And so uh, the Supreme Court says that the only new circumstances that were shown here uh, was an interview with the victim's mother that said that she was concerned that the defendant might contact the victims. And so the Supreme Court affirmed uh, and and the defendant did not object to having that term. And so the Supreme Court affirmed um, as modified with only the uh, no contact with any of the victims being allowed and all of the other modifications being null and void. Oh, wow. Uh, and so... I, again, I think yeah. a very interesting case. I think the stance, and, and again, here we, and, and you've went here first, so I'll go here for just a second. But I, I think that piece um, with the probation officer was, was maybe one of the more interesting things I've seen come from an opinion where probationers are supervised according to what they have done, not what they're yeah. convicted of. That's just a really interesting thought. And, and from anyone who practices either as um, from the state's side or from the defense side, it is interesting, you know, how do we uh, govern those things? Is it based on, you know, what what the, the system is saying you've done versus what are you actually convicted of? I don't know. I don't know either. That's interesting. <laughs> but this opinion says, and that is the, the uh, interesting part there, is that if you want to modify those things, you can't just uh, go about modifying them unilaterally and... Um, you know, you're going to have to jump through some hoops in order to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. Look at the person, not necessarily what they're convicted of. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we good? I think we're good. Okay. Well, that was another uh, episode of Point Two Law Review brought to you by Anderson Klein, Brewster, and Brandt. Uh, we'll be back next week with some more opinions. I hope so. 
We're not really point two. No, I think. Uh, see, I think we went over the point two, but I think the beauty of uh, podcasts in this day and age is that if anyone should so choose and do what I do with my podcast, I listen to. If you want to listen to it at one and a half speed, maybe two speed, then you know point four becomes point two. Isn't that the beauty of time? Point four. I uh, point becomes point two yeah. because I will sound like Mickey Mouse. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we want to do. Uh, wow. Well. We'll see. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thank you.